You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com, and this is episode number 98. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and this is the first show of 2011. With me today is regular panelist, freelance writer Rob Zachney. Good evening. And making a return visit, uh, one of my favorite bosses, the reviews editor of PC Gamer, Mr. Dan Stapleton. One of your favorite bosses, Troy? One of? One of. Well, uh, I have uh, many the, bosses. I'm trying to work my way up to the... Up to the, well, uh, right now, since Bill Abner is the commissioner of my out-of-the-park baseball league. Uh, oh, tread carefully. I have to, like, he can screw my team so quickly by just changing a rule. So I right see, now, he's, he's got to stay my, my favorite boss for now. <laughs> uh, love you, Bill. Be nice. Save, save the College Park riots. Uh, this, this is the first show of 2011. Uh, it is probably a good time to look back at 2010. Uh see how the strategy genre uh, grew, evolved, didn't, uh, what worked for us, what didn't work for us, and some of our favorite gaming memories uh, from strategy titles of the last year. Last week, I put my annual post of uh, my awards on the blog, and there will be a link to that at the bottom of the summary for this podcast, if you've missed it. Uh, The highlights, uh, the best game of the year for me was uh, Ruse, the best strategy game. Ubisoft's um, quite interesting and original uh, RTS uh, card slash game that actually works on a console. I'm happy to see it. That was the big winner for me, that and Supreme Commander 2, uh, which was the big surprise for me. So those are the highlights. You don't have to read it. That also gave a worst and trends and all that. But let's go to the panel. Uh, Dan, since you're our guest, um, you've play, you play a lot of strategy games. Um not just you play a lot of games in general, but you certainly have a lot of strong opinions on RTSs and the like. Um, what stood out for you in 2010? Well, I mean, it, it really kind of has to go to StarCraft for me, just just because, um, well, I mean, for one thing, it's, it, it is a kind of monolithic PC franchise that, that really, in, in terms of sheer popula- popularity, eclipses everything else by miles, um, which, you know, it's not, not a popularity contest, but there, there is a reason that it's popular, and that's, you know, the, the, the massive competitive aspect of it. Um, you know, I, I loved the, the campaign design, but I hated the campaign story, so that, that part was not, like, the, the, the really, you know, enrapturing part of it for me. The, the, the part that really drew me in was the, the online multiplayer, and... Um, even, even though, uh, you know, I, I struggled to maintain a 50, 50 win loss ratio for a long time. I finally, you know, kind of came into the, into my own for, for at least a while there and just went on this massive winning streak that for me was one of the more satisfying strategy experiences of the year. Just at at the point, I got to the point where all the, the cheap tactics and tricks, Mm -hmm. I would just shrug those off and, and send those guys crawling back. Um, you know, they, they would they would try uh, like a photon cannon rush as Protoss, and I would I would just you know shrug that off and then immediately crush them because they had invested all the resources in it. Um, just th- things like that. The, um, you know, it it really really does deserve a lot. Uh, maybe not all, but a lot of its reputation as kind of the king of RTSs. Oh, the great thing about StarCraft Two is this critical mass of videos and this audience. I mean, we've talked about this in the show. Is it, it that makes it one of the few strategy games which is played so often and so publicly it is something you can actually study right uh, something you can perfect your skills at and not just while you play and learn but you can watch other people and learn as you go because there is this mass of talent out there playing it and it's really 
great to see uh, a strategy game doing that. It's it's um, you know you, you can kind of do that with with most RTSs. The, I mean, the, you go to something like GameReplays.org and and you'll find just you know an entire library of of uh, replay files from every RTS under the sun. Every every RTS that supports it anyway. Um, so you can do that. But what what I what I mean with with StarCraft, just the the commentating community is so yep. strong that uh, that you can you can just watch it casually and pick up tricks. Right. Uh, you know, not not necessarily. I mean, there's no way you'll ever match the the, um, or you know, for most people are never going to match the 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 sheer speed of these professional players. Right. But things like build orders and and basic unit tactics. You know, what 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 beats what. Um, just being able to casually watch that and have it spelled out for you. And you know, while you're yes. eating dinner or something. Uh, you know, that that accessibility, which is not even really part of the game. It's something that's formed by the community around it. Uh, really makes it uh, something that. You know, it, it's it's a different way to enjoy a strategy game that, that you don't see anywhere else. Because the side community is so huge. I mean, you have game replays with all of these other things, but the size of the community and the excitement of the community, and right. in fact, and, is and a competitive, it makes all of this possible. I mean, game replays, you go there and you can watch replays, but yeah, you don't have, people, you don't have as many of them. You don't have as much variety in them. Um, and the commentating, like you say, I mean, the whole sports casting side. Right. Of StarCraft I, is missing. Watching an uncommentated replay is kind of not. I mean, it's, it's useful, but not nearly as useful because right. you you don't know necessarily where all the action is happening. As a as an inexperienced player, you're uh, you're browsing around trying to see what what everybody's doing at once. But the commentators will guide the camera for you. You can sit back in your chair and and be shown what's important. Now, Rob, you've kicked my butt at StarCraft a couple of times. Uh, how does the year stand for you? Um, what titles stand out for you the most as the best? Um, well, unsurprisingly, I mean, your 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 end of the year wrap up post uh, was pretty much, I think, stolen from me uh, <laughs> because the games you cited tend to be the games that really stuck out in my mind. Um, but I guess where I'd start off was, um, you know, the year really opened strong for me with uh, Octane Panzer. Uh, Kharkov 1943. I was really surprised to, a, I'm I'm always surprised to get a good tactical war game ever, um, especially one that you know really looks good and is exciting um, to play. But the other thing that really caught me off guard is I had no idea who those guys were. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm not a tank sim guy, so I so I didn't know them from their from their previous tank sims. Um. But it's I think it's Graviteam is the developer. Yes. Um But yeah, so I mean that was a game, it was it you know, it was it seemed low budget, it was you know, they were charging a very low price for it. Um I wasn't expecting a great deal, and lo and behold, um it was finally, you know, the first game since uh cl- you know, the close combat series kind of wound down that really caught my interest. Um so that was that was a huge surprise. Yeah. I saw. I first saw that game and spoke to Graviteam in uh, Stockholm uh, early last year, and it's one of these things where your people are presenting strategy games, and they show you this YouTube video with you know hard pounding music in the background, and then a lot of things happening. You have no idea what it is. Strategy PR people, stop doing that. Yeah. I cannot understand your game if you're just flashing crap at me. so I really didn't know what to, what to make of it, but then I played it, and it was like, this is, I mean, I played it after you did. Um, we talked about it on the show, and I really hadn't gotten into it until after you 
uh, sold me on it. Um, and it really does stand out as one of the year's best war games. Um, I don't know why I like it so much, though. Well, I think, you know, if one of the things that sort of surprised me this entire year, in fact, was, you know, games coming out of left field from really good games coming out of left field from maybe developers that I don't associate with success in the strategy or war game genre. Um, you know, Octane Panzer, you know, I'd never heard of Graviteam. Um, and Ruse, again, like, I mean, I know Yugen Systems, if you follow RTSs, like, you, you maybe knew Yugen from, um, you know, Act of War. But they're not, they're not, they weren't a name to me. I mean, Ruse was a game that, to me, arrived with no pedigree. Uh, but there and again, it's so different from Active War. If you've played Active War, is a great RTS, but it's nothing like Ruse. Yeah, and you know that was a game with. I, again, I had no expectations, and maybe you know maybe it's a mistake to think this way, but I would sort of expect the big innovations to be coming from the household names, from the leaders in the genre, um, <laughs> and maybe that's the wrong way of thinking of it, but. You know, there there was Yugen with a truly innovative RTS that was just a joy to joy to play. Um, I never felt like it was a game that I had to wrestle with. It was a game that, um, you know, I could just sit down and uh, you know enjoy from the first, and that's unusual for for me and RTSs. But uh, hey, hey Troy, full disclosure, I have not yet played uh, Ruse, right? though I have. Okay. I have publicly uh, uh, pledged to play it in, in our in our on the PC Gamer podcast. I made, made a, a New Year's resolution to to play it. So yeah, it's well, and, and now you can play it on the Connect apparently. Really? Well, people have hacked a, a Connect setup. For oh, it. but that makes so much sense. Yeah, I, you move your hands. It's kind of like I don't know, what are those Minority Report type thing? Where you're moving your hands and. Yeah, I was, tanks move, so. I've always, always, uh, you know, you, I'm just kind of a, on a tangent. Like the, yep. the, I guess, I guess this is like a, a trend for for future strategy games that, that wasn't in in 2010. But but uh, touch or motion control for an RTS game, like always, seems like a great idea. But uh, it always, like, the more I think about it, the more I think it would just really slow everything down. Um, well, just because well, it's be a certain scale of an RTS. That's the thing. I mean, you certainly couldn't play StarCraft with it. No, not but at I think all. Some, but I think something like Ruse, it actually works because it moves. Ruse, I mean, it's it's not a slow game by any means, uh, but the icons are huge. Uh, things blow up very nicely, uh, so you know what you're grabbing and moving. So it actually work. I, I could see it working pretty well uh, for a game at that scale. But no, something like StarCraft, forget it. Yeah, anything well, with any micromanagement. Uh, and wouldn't your arms get tired after a while? And really, really build up your upper yes. body strength. Oh, absolutely. You have to be sitting down or something, I suppose. <laughs> so they played Ruse on those motion tables um, at E3 um, a couple of years ago, and they entered the uh, Ubisoft unveiled it. They had one of those big right. It was on the Microsoft Surface, right? So um, and it worked well. So uh, that would be interesting to see. Right. Yeah, Ubi, uh, I, I do highly. If you haven't played Ruse, I highly recommend it um, as some as you know one of one of these games that has just. Did, I, I did not expect to like Ruse. I'd seen it at a couple of events, and I did not expect to like it. But I ended up uh, really enjoying it. So I, I see on here, Troy, you've, you've listed uh, more DLC as, as the worst aspect of, of 2010, for worst trend. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of curious about that, because I mean, like, I've, I've you know, um, been listening to you guys chat about, about Civ Five and, and like, the, the DLC for that, like, the, you know, adding extra 
uh, sieves. And yeah. for, for me, I, I don't really object to it that much. And only because uh, th- that the game shipped with, what, 18 sieves? Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, there's just so many, I, I don't feel the need to, to go out and get more. I feel like I've already got the complete game with that. Right. Um, so, I mean, my, my whole philosophy on DLC to begin with is uh, as long as it's not cutting stuff out of the game that I felt like should be in there, right. um, I, I'm fine with it. I'm offering more of a game that I enjoy. If I want, if I want more, I can go get more. Um, with Civ Five, I felt like I got a full game. Yeah, I don't think it's an issue with not getting a full game. I mean, certainly Civ Five was a full and complete game and remains a full and complete game. They could stop now. But it's this sense that you're... Nickel- I mean, one of the great things about Civilization is... You got a full expansion pack would come out with more sieves, but also with more mechanics. But there was a sense that everybody was playing the same game if they were up to date, that everyone's having the same experience, um, and that all the mechanics fit together. Um, you have new civilizations coming out, and it's not always clear whether, first, whether they were conceived with the certain mechanics in mind. You look at the Mongols who came out, for example, as DLC, and the Mongol national power makes no sense given the victory conditions. There's no victory condition where conquering uh, city-states helps you. Right. Uh, so I said, okay, well, so was, this was, it's clearly out there to make money. It's a civilization that was, people, people like the Mongols, you want to have the Mongols, uh, but it's, 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 it gives the impression to me that these things are being released without any conception of how they fit with the game. Um, so, so the the game's being cut into parts, and eventually, like as I said in the post, you'll have this a la carte mix and match approach uh, to strategy games, where everybody's having a different experience, which is okay. And strategy games, one of the great things is when you have different experiences, but there's usually a common base there. And I, the further monetization of sieves and then unique buildings, um, I think it's one step beyond you know selling new art. And selling new art is one thing for a strategy game. Who cares what the uniforms look like? Who cares about the sprites? But when you're selling something that is really central to the game itself, and new civilizations are central to the game itself, um, I think it's a step. It's a, a step that I don't think strategy games should go into because they are systems more than any other genre. Uh, maps are one thing. But selling core mechanics, the civilization and its powers are core mechanics, one at a time, without seeing how they fit with everything else together. Um, were these done before Civ V? Are they going to be churning out new civilizations every three months? Um, how are they all going to play together? What does this do for a game that already has AI imbalance issues, where the AI can't under- doesn't always understand the rules it is playing for the civs that shipped? And then new ones come in, and can they deal with each other? Um, I think that the push to DLC further fractures uh, a game that relies on systems, and systems should not be fractured. I guess that's my point. Uh, yeah, and, and in an ideal world, I, I certainly agree that, I, and and definitely I agree that that everything should be balanced to, to the you know best possible you know condition. But um, I, I, I'm I'm actually glad that with something like that, that uh, not that thought out civilization was not included in the in the main game because. I don't have to play with them. Yeah, yeah. If they weren't, I mean, all that thought. I mean, it's also possible they were, they were done, and then they decided, oh no, we're going to hold these ones back and release them. Right. Um, I don't know what exactly the situation but, was. But, but that's kind of the problem is that, you know, strategy DLC in particular ends up in this weird twilight where I think if you're talking about any strategy game, you ha- you have to 
you are part of a community of strategy gamers, even if it's a single player game. And the question is, what is the game I'm playing? Am I am I playing? You know, what is the what is the final version of the game? And is the with DLC adding you know new units, new buildings, or even you know new civs, you know it puts in this in, in this weird twilight position where you don't know what the complete game is because the community never really coalesces. There's really never a consensus on what the final version is. Um, and that, that seems, that seems really problematic because, you know, how are you supposed to appreciate, how are you supposed to appreciate the whole when it's been, when it's been cut up like that? I don't know. And in, in, in my mind, again, I, I think of the, the core game that was released as the whole, everything else is an add on. It may as well be a mod in my mind. Mm. So what do you think was the worst trend in strategy? Or was there a worst, was there a trend you, uh, Want to hold up as something that I, I mean the, the, a the, bad sign. The 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 uh, the the worst thing that happened in to to me strategy wise this year was was CNC four, yep. which was which I see you also called out here. Which yeah that that was that was just a bad thing all the way around. I mean everything from from the the horrible having to unlock your units, uh, which. I, and that just boggled my mind that they that they went in that direction, to to the story which made no sense. Um, it's like oh this is the the resolution to the the command and conquer you know Tiberium uh, story, but it doesn't resolve anything and doesn't answer any questions. Um, just and everything in between was just not good. Well, no, what, hang a, on. what a what a sad end to a storied series. Yeah. Uh, how arduous was it unlocking units? It took a while. Yeah, it did. Like, were you just like grinding tanks on a map, or? No, you, I mean you had to you had to win matches to to gain XP and and or you know play in matches to gain XP. Oh and, my god! Yeah, and so you had to play a certain number of matches before you could unlock certain units. Um, and you know there was this big you know ATAT style thing for GDI that you couldn't get until later later in the game. So, and if and and, and these rules applied both online and in single player. Right. So it was it was just maddening, and you know that that kind of thing. I, I don't know how they get away with it in in you know shooters, so like you know like Call of Duty and and uh, Battlefield. I I don't. I, and for me, that makes it much less fun to and and as as a new player coming in, it makes it. It's, I don't want to play that. Everybody has better stuff than me. Um, I, I want to go play a game where I I stand a chance. You know, I, I may be unskilled, but at least I'm equipped. Um, and in a multiplayer field, that makes no sense to me. Yeah, and the shame of it is, you know, once you got past the crappy campaign and all the unlocking, there was a decent RTS underneath it, you know, really World of Conflict style with uh, different skills, there were support groups and attack and defense. It was actually a very nice uh, rock, paper, scissors type of setup, but it was just so hard to get there. Yeah, and it, it, it did it did have a you know a good flow to it in, in the same way that that uh, World Conflict did, where where you would respawn if you if you died. So so it wasn't it wasn't a setup where where you know it was all or nothing. You would you would yeah. just you would get you couldn't you can't get wiped out of the game until the the timer's out basically. Right. So it 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 did have that going for it, but it didn't do anything better than World of Conflict did. No. Uh, so I'd just much rather go play World of Conflict, which is all, all around a, a better game. Absolutely. I mean, I have. I, I still don't know what EA was thinking there. Well, I I I think I, I read an interview with with uh, one of the former designers where it's like they had 
they had uh, whipped that up as a concept for for something else, and and EA all of a sudden wanted to come in and conquer four, so they slapped that on it. But <laughs> don't, don't 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 necessarily quote me on that. I, that's that may be recalling. Well, I, I I won't have to quote you on it. You're recorded. You're on the radio. <laughs> well, well, do you think it was like a, a forerunner of maybe an attempt to push a an MMO strategy game down the road? Well, th- when I spoke to the develop- the developer, he, he said that MMOs were an inspiration uh, for the design. The idea that you do have different people with different tasks, and they unlock different powers as they go up uh, to make themselves more powerful. Just like World of Warcraft, where you get a certain level, you can unlock certain spells or whatever. Um, same idea, only with an RTS. And he seemed to think was a good idea. <laughs> at um, the time, I'm sure he did. At the, at the moment, I mean, right now, it, it, as I think about it, it reminds me more of the of, of, of Facebook games right. uh, than uh, really MMOs, because you don't have a whole lot of role-playing going on, but you have a lot of, here's a lot of grinding, things you got to do if you want to get the cool new plant in Farmville. You've well, got to plant a whole lot of peas. But but that's the thing. Like both with this and the DLC, I mean, right now all these publishers are trying to find a way to there's the, there's this whole thing where turning games into services, right, instead of products. And so I look at CNC four and I mean I haven't played it, but from what you guys are describing, I see like an early prototype of attempt you know, an early prototype attempt to see whether or not they could ever get traction on turning the RTS into some sort of like persistent um, you know, persistent service where people are buying into, you know, further further content, putting in a lot of time on the servers, um, well, uh, and so I'm I selling think, that. I, I think their their prototype for that was Battleforge, which I, I think has found you know some degree of success as a as a free to play game that sells booster packs of it's it's kind of a, a RTS uh, card game a collectible card game hybrid. Yeah, yeah, didn't you guys hate that? No, no, we thought we gave it an okay score. No, like oh, uh, Troy uh, and Bruce. Oh, I mean, yeah. oh I, t- 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 Tom and Bruce hated it. Okay. I thought it was okay, but Tom and Bruce hated it. Yes, they hate everything. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's. It, we we played it in an early uh, state, and it was still pretty slow, and things weren't moving. But you could. But there was still a lot of action. A lot of people were interested in it. Um, I think that you could see uh, people. It would that it would it would probably be a nice small hit. But it's and, gotten some traction since it. <gasps> It, I guess it turns uh, free to play, so I, I, th- I think. Helps. Yeah, I, I think it's it's uh, built a, a decent community. I, I haven't played it much myself, but I, I'm been meaning to go back to it. Uh, all that and like three dozen other games I've been meaning to go back to. Like, right, my list of things yeah. I have to play. Uh, I think I want to play. So, so Troy, I've got, I've got a question for you. Yep. Uh, for, you know, l- retrospective. I, I I hear so you know there's so so much uh, you know complaints about uh, about AI in in uh, Civ Five and Elemental. Uh, a lot of it justified, um, perhaps most of it justified. Um, I'm wondering what, what you think is the best strategy AI of the year. Oh, God, best strategy AI of the year. That's a tough question. Um, Why, thank you. Uh, I think I'm going to say StarCraft. Hmm. I think I'm going to say StarCraft too, and I think it's partly because... Uh, uh, the way that the different factions really understand uh, what their goals are. Um, so I, th- I would have to understand what their priorities are. They tend to make smart decisions. Uh, the AI is uh, actually pretty decent for training you to go into multiplayer. Uh, the skirmish, at least, is, can put up a pretty good fight. 
um, at the higher difficulty levels. So I'm uh, I'm probably going to say StarCraft uh, is probably the number one AI. It's a game that probably I had to learn the most from. And second to that, I think Distant Worlds. Uh, yes, a world which has AI governors, and part of the first large-scale strategy game that has AI governors that don't screw up what you want to do, <laughs> that actually run things well. Uh, so I want to give some props to Distant Worlds for that really, really great system uh, they developed there. How about uh, you, Rob? Um, well, I'm going to kind of cheat, and um, you know, for me, I, I, I think the the AIs that really stand out in my mind from this year um, are AIs from older games that have been further developed through expansions. Um, Sins of a Solar Empire really impressed me. The uh, AI tended to know when it was... I mean, one thing, it tended to know when it was licked and knew when to quit, quit out. Um, but the AI, the AI never gave the game away. It was just it was the perfect comp stomp um, opponent where, you know... My friends and I could get together, and we'd be in a fight for our lives with this AI. And we didn't even explore higher difficulty levels. Um, and it had a pretty good, you know, would marshal its forces and throw large fleets at you. Um, did all did all the right stuff to, you know, be an effective opponent. Um, and the other AI that that really impressed me was probably uh, EU three, um, and whatever the latest expansion was this year, uh, Divine Wind. Divine Wind. Yeah. Um, I just I feel like that series, the AI eventually gets outstripped. Um, I mean, it can't like it, it doesn't hang in there for the entire length of the game. I don't think, uh, but you know, there 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 are all these incidents when I'm playing EU three where I think, my God, it's it's uncanny how smart the AI is being right now. Yeah, I, I think that that a smart AI is is something that's almost difficult to appreciate in a game because when an AI is being smart. You're not really thinking, you know. Oh my God, it's being smart. You're just thinking that's what it's supposed to do. So, it. it but when it's being dumb, it's like, oh, that's totally unnatural. That's this is a dumb AI. So you you almost don't notice it when it's being good, but you totally notice it when it's being bad. Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing about AI. I mean, I've a developer uh, friend told me this once about you know Rise of Nations how. You know, people were talking about how great Rise of Nations AI was. They tell he designed it. And talk about all these wonderful things the AI was doing in Rise of Nations. He said, the AI is not doing any of that. None of that is programmed. That has nothing to do with the AI. That's just what someone reads the AI is doing. They're reading intent in what they see. They're reading an AI thinking. When it's just something really cool, it just happened to happen. And it happened to put him back on his heels. Um, I think we give a lot of credit to AI, which is not really AI at all. Um, because it's, it's because like you say, it's good enough that it's running well. It's not obviously stupid. So when something cool happens, it's not just a coincidence of math. It is this the good AI becoming awesome. Yeah. Or and, and so much of good AI is is you know smoke and mirrors trickery. Um, and one of my one of the most impressed you know with the AI experiences I've ever had was the original Fear. Um, you oh, know, it, it, yes. It just felt like those those troopers were so damn smart, but it, it you know it turns out yeah. that, that that was just Monolith rigging the game basically by by having you know through through their their uh, their voice you know saying oh you know let's thank him and then you know have some scripting 
leading them around to to uh, you know the sides and and you know trick spawning in some places, um, and it, it it really pulled off just the illusion of this deviously smart AI. Um, and it, it was a you know a capable AI in of itself that was you know able to vault over right. over wall over uh, over railings and things like that. But it uh, it was it just the the things they're able to do by tricking you into think that it, thinking that it's smart is almost more valuable than it actually being smart. We actually had um you know I attended this conference earlier this year the uh, Boston Game Loop, um and it was you know it, it was a real blast and one of the one of the uh, Groups I found myself in was discussing that very issue, and the fear AI came up. And yeah, that was the that was the consensus that sort of formed was that, you know, what's far more important than actually having a really good AI is finding ways to sell the player on the idea that there's a really good AI. You know, right. include those cues that make it look like give the illusion that the AI is is thinking about something, even though it it really isn't. Um, and Civ Four, you know, came up as as an example because. Your interactions with the other AI leaders were always so colored by their personality, right? That the AI just, you know, had certain traits to it. And it was just enough that the player would go the rest of the way to anthropomorphizing the AI. You know, that's why that's why Troy hates Montezuma so much. You know, <laughs> Everybody like, hates Montezuma. Screw that guy. He is a dick. But I mean, you know, he's just he's just the AI tuned to be, you know, tilted toward toward aggression. Um, but you end up seeing a lot more than that when you play him. Yeah. So, I mean, this question started with, you know, Elemental and Civ. I mean, what do you think happened to those AIs? And what, these are two companies that are known for having decent strategy AI. Um, GalCiv 2 had excellent AI all the way through. Uh, political Machine as well. So, and Red Wardell fancies himself kind of an expert on this. Uh, so, but Elemental had no AI at all, and Civ Five uh, introduced this great tactical war game that the computer could not play. Um, and Firax is not known for releasing games that the AI completely stinks at. Though even Civ Four, which people tend to forget, did not have a bunch of shining Aristotles running the other nations uh, upon release. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think both of those were were a case of of them kind of biting off a little more than they could chew. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, as I recall, with with Civ, there were there were some there was like a big round of layoffs before the game was released. Yes. Um, which, I mean, that could have been the time they were planning to polish the AI. I mean, and that's I would think when you would want to work on that is you know after you've nailed down most of the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, so and with with elemental, I mean, uh, it, it's it seems to me like just based on the the hires you know they've made in the, in the last uh, couple months at Stardock that, that that Brad Wardell realizes that he he overextended himself by trying to manage that project too much himself, um, you know, as well as writing the lore and everything and 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 writing the AI. Um, so it, writing a novel, right? <laughs> so I mean, it 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 seems like they they. In both cases, they just didn't quite have the time and resources they needed to to polish the AI. Well, I, I look at Firaxis, and I just think, like, this is why it's so important that developers at least have a modicum of independence where they can slip a ship date. Because um, I, I really have to believe that if someone at Firaxis could have, you know, said in August, we got we to gotta 
delay this by three six months and go into polishing but we need to, we've got a lot of things we need to chase down and eliminate from the game um that the reaction to Civ 5 would have been vastly different i mean playing with the most recent patch i find it a very different experience than when it was released but for whatever reason they had to go with a game that was obviously flawed like there's no way that you could be playing this game and not see that there were you know pieces missing from the ai even if you liked the game, which many people did. Yeah, and right. I, I, I loved the game, and that was one of my chief criticisms. Is like, the, why are they marching the artillery right up to my, my guys? You know, they should be bombarding me. Uh, I mean, just and you know, not knowing how to use adjacency bonuses. Right. Um, but you know, at, at certainly at the time, and, and for the first you know several games, the first you know forty hours of it, I was I was still loving it just because, you know, I, it's fun to beat up on a dumb AI sometimes. <laughs> Well, what kills it is when when you have those moments that they should be really gripping, right? And that's where it kind of broke for me was I had a few too many cases where a war would break out and I'd be rubbing my hands together thinking, oh boy, here we go. The Germans are coming. You know, it's going to be a fight to the death. This is going to be epic. Um, And then I'd watch a large army just sort of, there'd be like two of my cities that were equidistant from the the enemy border. And it's like they didn't really know, so their army would just sort of mill around like awkward cocktail party guests, you know, like between the two cities, not attacking either one. And that's how the war ends. Mm -hmm. You know, basically the Germans invade Russia and just end up hanging out around, you know, Leningrad. And that's that's where they find them. Um, So that's that's what really broke it, is there were great moments that the game set up, and then the eye completely failed to follow through on them. I, mean, I, I can't say I had a, a whole lot of experiences like, like that where the AI just completely, you know, botched, the, you know, just wandered around in a circle. But, you know, it, it, it definitely did not um, do well in, in, in terms of, of situations where there, were, where there was no clear advantage on either side and it, it, would, it would not make use of the tactics of the new system at all, which was very disappointing. Um, any big surprises for you this year, Dan? Games that came out were better uh, than you expected? Pleasant surprises? I called Supreme Commander 2 uh, my big surprise. I did not expect it to be for such as big a change as it was and as good a big change as it was. I, I was I was hoping that one would be better, honestly. Um, oh, yeah? You know, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. But again, the, the campaign, the story was so bad, so bad. And uh, did you did you guys play the campaign of that one? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. they're they're all yeah they're 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 all bad. Yeah. Uh, that is, Supreme Commander Two is on my list. It's like you with Ruse. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't haven't quite gotten there, but I have I have really good intentions. Yeah, and you know I I I, I guess the the story was was done by uh, Steve Bauman. Um, yes. Yeah. Who, who you know who I know and like, but. But uh, oh boy, <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, if we go around judging games plays purely in the campaign stories, uh, you know, StarCraft Two wouldn't be much good. Oh either. no, no, uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, Ruse. yeah, but uh, well, no, Ruse is actually pretty decent, I thought. Uh, but Supreme Command, Supreme Commander's story was pretty awful. Yeah. Uh, but you know, but the like and but like um, StarCraft's campaign, as bad as the story was, the missions themselves could actually be quite interesting yeah exactly uh, the um, mission design uh was quite well done right and i i still still remember and i i don't know if 
I don't know if I really particularly enjoyed it, but the but the but the mission, the mission where they threw all the engineers at you was was yes. very memorable. It's like I I was not expecting that, and like I actually lost that mission once, and I'm like, how did I lose this to engineers? Um, and, and you know that that's I, I just kind of was was taken aback by that, and and you know it provided a pretty memorable experience, and and that um, and just all the the uh, the experimental units in that game were pretty fantastic. And that's, In fact, that's one of the great things about Star about Supreme Commander Two is that they let you get these cool experimental units out faster. Mm-hmm. And you could see them sooner, different levels of them, so you weren't just waiting around for your deficit spending economy to finally work its way out, so you could get the cool stuff. And yeah, and that, that was that was one of the things that the, the, the gas powered guys were talking about when I was when I was up there previewing it was was you know that they realized early on that uh, you know after after Subcom One came out that the you know the, the stars of the of the show are the super the uh, the experimental units and you know in at least when Subcom One first came out. It was only like in the very end of the game that you even saw one or two of them. So, and you know, it's like, well, maybe we should make those a bigger part of the game. And it it really worked out well for them, just in in terms of these over the top battles of these you know giant Japanese monster type robots fighting. So, what was the pleasant surprise for you, if not Supreme Commander Two? Um, that's that's a good question. I'm I'm gonna have to think about it. Can you can you come back to me? Yeah, I'll come back to you, <laughs> Rob. Anything for you stand out besides people making people you hadn't heard of making games you liked? Um, uh, pleasant surprise wise. Well, I mean, I guess because it's on my mind. I mean, the pleasant surprise has been sort of the accretion of talent at Stardock lately. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really exciting to me to see you know uh, Derek Paxton and John Schaefer end up at the same place. Um, that. I mean, it was not something I was expecting at all, although I know you published something, I think, yesterday, Troy, um, sort of going into Schaefer's reasoning a little bit, or how it might have looked to him, um, that, you know, really, Stardock is the only game in town if, you know, you're young. um, And and, and you do PC strategy, and you want to do PC strategy. And new PC strategy. Yes, and new PC. Yes. Yeah, and that's and that's the big thing. They're, they're, the, they're the place you go. So from that point of view, it makes sense. But it's just surprising to me to see, you know, names I, I really respect to see them suddenly end up at the same studio, which despite, you know, what happened with the launch of Elemental, um, I still regard very highly. So that was, that was exciting. It, remi- it kind of reminded me of when uh, Firaxis was originally formed. I guess uh, so, so to come back to my, to mine, um, I guess my my pleasant surprise of the year would have to be uh, the the uh, UFO the two sides XCOM remake. Um, oh that, that yeah, I was, that I was talking about from on the last time I was on. Uh, just you know, I I have been looking for so long for you know a a, a remake that that is actually enjoyable to play, and you know that that one still has a ways to go, but it's so so on the right track. Um, What's it getting really right? Uh, j- just the being loyal to the to the original game and without and only changing things that pre- pretty much only changing things that make sense um, and you know re- rebalancing some things uh, it 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 is being very loyal to, you know again loyalty to, to the game that I love without showing any signs of disrespect to it that's something I still have not gotten into. Um, it's, it's on my list. So that's what I've got to do. Here we go. We have a list for the next time the three of us are on a show. Great. 
Um, so here we are, beginning of the year. You want to say anything we're looking forward to in the strategy world? For me, it's pretty much just subversion. Oh yeah, subversion so, so and um, uh, da, 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 da. why is this blanking on me? I've got, I've got the, oh, frozen synapse. There it is. Oh yes, which we uh, talked about uh, earlier this year. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's uh, that's not too far off. Uh, uh, could be within the next couple of months that it comes out of beta. Um, and you know, who knows if it's an indie project, so it, it'll be ready when it's ready. But uh, oh, if only all things are only ready when they were ready. <laughs> yes, if only, if if only they didn't all have a publisher pulling their pulling their strings, telling them it's done now, um, <laughs> because we have a, a quarterly earnings report to make. Um, but uh, yeah, that that one, you know, I I, I was talking last time about uh, Laser Squad Nemesis, and yeah. it's you know it's similar in in, in uh, a lot of ways to that. So I am. Uh, Looking forward to that one. Yeah, and I mentioned subversion for the listeners who might know what I'm talking not know what I'm talking about. It's Introversion's heist uh, game that's uh, going to be coming out sometime this year, and it looks so cool. Um, whether it plays cool or not, I don't know, but I just love the idea. And it's Introversion, so they have not let me down yet. Right. Really. Rob, what's on your list? Um. You know, I mean, I, I'm terrible at keeping track of what's coming out. I'm just, I'm just awful at it. Because um, your I'm, sound's going, Rob. Is it better now? No, yeah. it, it sounds like a it sounds like a bandwidth problem, and yeah. it'll probably clear up in a couple seconds. Yeah. Okay. There you um, go. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm really bad at keeping track of what's coming out. Um, but I guess what I've sort of been keeping tabs on, at least, um, Crusader Kings two. Um, Which is in 2012. Oh, that is. Oh my god, see? (laughs) And then, because I'm in an abusive relationship with it, uh, Shogun. Nice. Oh, really? See, that's what I'm not looking forward to, is Shogun 2. This is the first Total War game I am not looking forward to. Really? Is it just because they switched the titles? Yeah, that's exactly it. I'm a a, a purist that way. Don't abuse my language. Yes, uh, no, it's uh, because um, until I'm convinced that they have fixed the issues of AI on the strategic map. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't get excited about another Total War game. Uh, and once I see all of they've been showing the AI in the battles, but you know the battles have never really been the problem. Yeah. Uh, it's been the strategic map, and that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see fixed and working. Um, I've been burned too many times, even though I liked Empire. Um, you know, I liked it quite a bit because of its grandeur and its majesty. I could see things that I didn't see, so I gave it a very positive view. Because you know, the total creative assembly will show you things you will not see otherwhere, other places, and that's worth recognizing. Um, but the strategic AI, you know, has issues, uh, major issues. They fixed some of them in Napoleon. Napoleon's better, but um, we'll see what happens with Shogun too. So it's on my list, but it's a, but you're you're an abuse. It's abused you, Rob. Well, I mean, this is what I mean. Like, I fully expect that after a week or so with this game, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be pissed. Um, <laughs> you know, as, as I've been many times before. Um, but I mean, it's not like I'm I'm excited. Like, oh my god, this is, this is going to be so great. I'm I'm just really I'm really curious to see whether or not they're going to get it right. Um, and I guess you know, Napoleon left a. You know, it left a really positive impression with me. Um, and sadly, I know it's different teams. Like, I know that this is how Creative Assembly works. You know, there's the one team that creates the new game and the new engine, and then there's the other team that sort of iterates on it. Um, 
but ne- nevertheless, I, I look at Napoleon. I think, well, that was that was actually really innovative, and they did some really clever things working within the constraints of the total war system. Um, and so I, I'm kind of looking towards Shogun to maybe build on that, um, you know, to do more things that we haven't seen before in a total war game. Uh, maybe even beyond having an AI that can actually play it, um, which would be unheard of in the modern total war era. But, and how much of this is because Shogun is still your favorite total war game of all time? It's my second favorite. The the first medieval was the first medieval is my favorite, but Shogun okay. kind of uh, was the one that grabbed my attention, and that's that's a big part of it. I mean, you know what? You know when I wrote about Shogun, it's it's really in, like it's indelible in my mind. Like it had such character because of the setting and the time. Um, and that's I'm, I'm really looking forward to using those units again. Like you know, sending my Nodachi samurai. Um, which are like these suicidal samurai wielding like huge swords, um, and three quarters of them will die in the first engagement. I'm looking forward to using units like that again. Yeah. You know, just to bring out the sort of you're samurai looking movie forward craziness. to mur- you're looking forward to murdering your men is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, you know, sort of the martial arts epic craziness that I would occasionally see in Shogun. Uh huh. Martial right. epic martial arts craziness. <laughs> Strategy, strategic, epic martial arts craziness. Better. Yeah. You know. You know. What I forgot to mention actually it was uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand: Dawn of War Two Retribution. I am looking forward to that. Oh yes, yes. Anything uh, related to that series yeah. is got to be on the playlist. Anything, anything Relic does strategy wise is just they they are one of the best in the in the RTS business. Has Company really of Online started? It's it's in open beta, so effectively. Um, yeah, they, they, are, you, are you playing it? I, I've played it a bit. Uh, like I've I've been kind of all over the map lately. It's like you know, bun- bunch of big releases over the and you know upcoming. So my my and also I got sucked back into Star Trek Online because I really wanted to earn my Galaxy class ship, and I really? finally did. Yeah, <laughs> yay! Yeah, so I, I finally did. So I can stop playing that now. But <laughs> <laughs> because if I have to beam down to one more planet and scan five things, see, I'm gonna, you're why the rest of us are going to be unlocking shit. <laughs> guys like you. No, see that an MMO that that's that's part of the course. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, where was I going with that? Uh, <laughs> Your uh, relic. Right, right. I, I I have played. I played some a couple months ago, um, and I actually got pissed off be, because of the. Well, actually, because of some unlock stuff, uh, <laughs> in that I the, the 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 best thing about about Company of Heroes Online. Is the fact that you can download this game for free, create, create an account, download the game for free, and play the the original campaign for free. Um, and that and it's you know one of one of my favorite RTS campaigns ever, the original Company of Heroes campaign. Yeah. Uh, so everybody should absolutely do that because it is absolutely free. Uh, when when you when you've done that, you can then or, uh, you know go on or you know even before you do that, you can go online and play. Um, it. It bothers me a little bit for the same reasons that CNC4 did. Not because you have to unlock uh, units, but because you unlock upgrades. Uh, and so, at least when I was playing it, the matchmaking hopefully was not final, and I got, you know, it, it would have a thing, you know, down at the bottom saying evenly matched. Uh, you know, on the on the you know before we got thrown into the game, it was you know the matchmaking system. But the guy I was up against had like a full. Uh, a full tray full of, of uh, upgrades that you know gave his rifleman you know plus five damage and, and resistance to to uh, mortar fire, 
and I had like three like common things, and his were all rare. And it's like, um, this is not going to go well for me. And it, in fact, what, the the thing that that really pissed me off was um, the 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 commander abilities get upgrades too. So uh, like th- things like the the strafing, uh, like mm-hmm. the strafing run that that mm-hmm. uh, you know you can call that down on the battlefield and. And in the in the normal game, it'll throw down a uh, a flare, and then you'll have a few seconds to get out of the way. But one of the upgrades they had for that was uh, a reduction in the time between the time the the, the flare hit the ground and the uh, and the strafing run happened. So basically, what what ended up being what, what this guy pulled on me, and you know th- there was some strategy that that was involved because he had to amass a, a lot of a lot of uh, resources before he could do this, but. Uh, he was able to get it to a point where if he could see my infantry, they were dead uh, because there was no time to get them out of the way of the strafing run. And so then he just cranked out a bunch of a bunch of uh, you know anti-tank infantry, and so and that would take out the tanks, and I had no infantry to take those out, so I was just completely destroyed, and that drove me absolutely nuts because there, I felt like there was no defense against it. Hmm. See, but, that sounds impossible to balance. It it may well be. I mean, like the the I guess the argument, uh, you know, it can be balanced if the matchmaking is good enough, because you know if 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 you're up against a guy with a similar you know suite of upgrades, then you both have a similar um, you know uh, power level, and you know it might there there might be some strategies that are are difficult to counter. Um, you know, if somebody has heavily stacked towards one thing, but you could be heavily stacked towards another thing, and you know, it's it's, it's kind of a meta layer to the game. Um, just at the time that I was playing it, it was it was not it was it has it's not out of beta yet, so you know, can't really definitively judge the balance. But for the love of God, play the campaign for free. There we go. You've heard the man. There'll be a link to Company of Heroes online uh, at the bottom of the podcast uh, notes, so you can play it, because uh, Company of Heroes is, I think, uh, one of uh, the best RTSs ever made, and Agreed. the campaign is certainly up there as it, well. Uh, it, is the highest score. it is the highest score I ever handed out and, and on PC Gamer, is, is for Company of Heroes. What was the score? 96%. No Alpha Centauri. <laughs> <laughs> but what is? That's very true. Um, what's, what is Paradox coming out with then this year? Because I sort of I thought they announced Crusader Kings long enough ago that it was going to be coming out soonish. Um, so once I'm pretty, what are I'm the pretty sure here? I'm pretty sure it's 2012. I have to double check that. Uh, Pride of Nations uh, is something they're publishing but not developing. Um, I'm not sure they have any developed games coming out this year. Uh, hmm. Maybe three more EU three expansions. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe the African countries get new rules this time. Um, but I'm quite sure Crusader Kings is 2012, but I could be wrong. Um, I, I thought I got an email from them about their their upcoming slate. Uh, let me look that up. Real yeah, quick. they have, they have they have a big show coming up. Yeah, Crusader Kings is Q1 2012. All right. So there we go. And but they will be showing uh, some of that at the Paradox Convention in two weeks in New York City. Um, I'll be there. Rob will be there, and. Um, Somebody will be talking about it some, somewhere sometime. Um, any last words before I wrap up here? Oh, you know what Paradox is, is publishing is uh, Sword of the Stars 2. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But once again, that's, from, that's uh, Kerberos. Right. 
So it's um, external that they're publishing. It's another external publishing game, but that's another game. Um, there have been a lot of good sci-fi 4X games in the last couple of years. Right. Well, yeah. Um, other than that, I have no last words. Other than that, it was it was. I think it was a pretty good year for strategy games. I think so. Um, you know, it was, it was. We've had some disappointments, but the genre I think is moving forward, and uh, it's still the rules on the PC. Apparently, it's good on the iPad too, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't have one of those. They're, they're pretty sweet. Yeah, so I hear. Uh, Rob, any final words? Um, no, I just think it was, I think it was a great year for strategy games. Um, dis- disappointments aside, there were enough pleasant surprises, and I mean, it was fantastic just seeing something like StarCraft II hit uh, to right. see the, the strategy realm sort of be the cool kid for a change. Um, right. And you know, given the way this year has gone, it almost you know, still the coolest kid. Um, you know, a lot of games have come and gone. StarCraft II is still one of the ones I hear the most people talking about. Um, and the only last thing I'll say uh, is a bit of gloating, because I totally told you and Tom at the start of 2010 uh, that it was probably unwise to get excited for CNC4. <laughs> yes, well, I, that's, that's uh, I'll have to go back and check the tape on that. And be sure. And it's in the books. Better. It's in the books. So, all right, then. Was I actually excited about a CNC game? I'm sure Tom was, because Tom loves the CNC stuff, but except for Red Alert. He's right to hate Red Alert. <laughs> the original or Red Alert 3? Oh, Red Alert 3. I, en- I enjoyed Red Alert 3. I en- yeah, I well, know you did. I, <laughs> I, 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 I admit I may, I may have enjoyed it a little bit too much in retrospect, but... <laughs> But uh, you know, I will never judge you because of what you like. The, the co-op was kind of cool. You got to give me. You got to give the co-op. I'll, you know. gi- I'll give. I'll give. I'll give props in the co-op. Was Red Alert three the one with all the goofy videos? Yeah, they all have okay. goofy videos. George Decay. All... George okay, Decay. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Jenny McCarthy. Um, <laughs> oh God. Tim Curry. <laughs> Tim, Tim Curry. Um, yeah, it's something. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that it was, was, that, was but, it, that was enjoyable. That wasn't right, but in the CNC. I can't imagine I was ever excited about CNC four. But if you say I were, Rob, you don't lie to me, as far as I know. Uh, so that was the year that was a year in which uh, Three Moves Ahead was downloaded one hundred and sixty-seven thousand times. Uh, so thank you all for listening. Next week's show, we will be talking to Joel Billings and Eric Rutkins about War in the East, the new big war game from Two by Three Games and Matrix Games. Uh, so please come and listen to that in our first developer interview of the year. Um, thank you for being here again, Dan. No problem. Anytime. Rob. Thanks for having me. And good night, all. <laughs>